Hello, good morning. Good morning. Yeah, so uh, we're gonna, we're just getting started here. Give me a, just a few seconds here. And yeah, cool. Hey, so uh, glory to Jesus Christ. Uh, welcome to the Christ Our Hope show here uh, where we take the time to reflect upon the Holy Scriptures for Sunday uh, coming up in the uh, Byzantine or the Greek rites. So uh, very excited about these particular uh, scripture verses today as, uh, as we uh, start this reflection and start this activity of reflection and contemplation, right? Um, so a uh, little bit of business as usual, right? So um, again, if you have not liked and subscribed, please do so um, on our YouTube channel. If you are uh, listening to the podcast, if you're on the YouTube channel, then go ahead and hit that little uh, like and subscribe button so that you can stay up to date anytime uh, that we post these videos. Um, we also post uh, shorts daily uh, throughout the week, uh, just so just so uh, those of who have not maybe been over to our YouTube page, uh, Christ Our Hope, um, go check that out. Go go join us in that, and uh, check out our shorts. We we post little shorts on on several different things that I've posted on there for justification, a short short synopsis of justification. I've also done a few things. In regards to um, you know like uh, fasting and food that we can eat you know and stuff like that some ideas so go check that out that's it that's on our YouTube channel uh, Christ our hope um, definitely a great opportunity to uh, to learn more about our faith and to delve deeper into our faith and that's really what the whole goal of this um, activity is is uh, with Christ our hope is to delve into our faith so um, other than that, uh, that's it. So let's, let's go ahead and start going on these reflections and, and, uh, and we'll kind of go from there. So, so yeah, so the, the scripture verses for this week, this coming Sunday are Romans chapter five verses one through 11. And then, uh, the other one was Matthew... Is Matthew six? <clears throat> and it is going to be verses twenty two through twenty excuse me, thirty three. Okay. Yeah, so so <clears throat> great scripture verses there. We're gonna delve into them, we're gonna talk about them, and we're gonna kinda walk step by step inside of these these verses so let me go I'm just gonna read you the <clears throat> scripture verse here we're gonna kind of bring everything around Romans chapter 5 here today <clears throat> so if you if you're following along you have your Bibles that's right you have your Bibles take your Bibles out <clears throat> turn to Romans chapter 5 Romans is the first book after the book of Acts Acts is the first book after the Gospel of John. So um, go ahead and turn to your Bibles um, on uh, Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. And we will begin this, uh, this uh, action. <clears throat> I did want to kind of 
uh, since this is the first time in our show that we are actually reading the scriptures, um, you know, some of you may not be uh, very, may, may not be, you know, knowledgeable of the of the Greek rites. So in the Greek rites, right, we, we don't read the scriptures as, uh, as our Western counterparts do. Actually, we chant them. So um, I'm going to uh, chant the, the scripture verse for you this morning, um, just the epistle, and um, so that you can get a little bit of familiarization with this, uh, with this reading, right, and with our tradition, right? So if you're interested in Greek Catholicism, and that's the reason why you're here, um, I welcome you. I welcome you to our channel. I welcome you to kind of understanding who we are as Greek Catholics and um, invite you into this, this opportunity of, of learning and studying with us these most sacred scriptures. So, chapter 5, verse five uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. So, I hope that was plenty of time to get, get your Bibles out. Okay, so, okay. A reading from the, a reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Romans... Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in our hope of sharing the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. While we were yet helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Why, one will hardly die for a righteous man, Though perhaps for a good man one will dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we are now justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Not only so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received our reconciliation. Okay, so uh, today's scripture epistle and, and gospel reading, which we'll touch on a little bit later, right? Is is going to have four main themes that I want to talk about as we go through this. And I find that they're very important inside of the concepts of understanding salvation. And I know we touched, we touched base on justification last week to some degree. This week we're going to go back to justification. We're going to go back to understanding justification. And we're going to start walking in that process of breaking down the concepts of justification much more in depth and much more in, uh, in well, just much more in depth, right? So, 
There are a few things in the scripture today, in the epistle, that really drew me in, right? The first was that in the very first sentence, it says, Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's focus on that very first sentence, right? So, that word we, it says, therefore, since we are justified by faith, we, right? And other sources actually uses the word let us. Let us have peace. Which is a completely different meaning whenever we're talking of, and when we're actually looking at this scripture, really. If we say we have peace, then it means that it's something that's implied that we automatically are given to some degree. Whereas if we say, let us have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, it is something that must be obtained. I think personally, in my own, in my own personal opinion, right, as a scholar and as, as a, the, a, a tempting theologian these days, right, is that let us is the more perfect word to be used in this rather than we. And I'll tell you the reason being. Because when we look at the church's understanding and the church father's understanding, the way we've understood grace and justification by faith, it has always been something that has that man has has got to desire, right? We have to desire that peace, right? We have to desire that peace. The fact that it says we are justified by faith, let us have peace, means that yes, by our faith, we are justified, but that faith takes action, right? That faith takes action. Justification is not for the sake of just the death of Christ, but rather it is justification by faith. To apply that by faith means that there's an action on the part of the individual to actually move towards God. Which means that when we say let us have peace instead of we have peace, it means that we not only must have this faith, but we also need to seek that peace inside of our lives, which requires deeper understanding of our faith and deeper practice of our faith. So for the concepts of, of today, we're going to talk about four main themes. The first is essence and energies. The second is synergy. I've used this word a lot, so I'm going to define that. I did a short the other day, which kind of broke it down in very succinct terms, but we're going to go into depth here today. Synergy in the participation of grace, and we're going to talk about that. Grace and divine energy and what those are and the interchangeability of those. Which leads to the third point, which is the, the Eastern Christian, Eastern Catholic view of grace, right? Which is different from our Western brothers and sisters. And the synthesis of justification or salvation. So we're basically going to go through essence and energies, synergy, grace... Right? And what grace is. And then we're going to give you, a, I'm going to give you a synthesis of justification or salvation. So let us begin, right? Let us begin.
something that must be understood is that as we are moving into this into this reflection on justification that the terms through him or through our Lord Jesus take place three times within the scripture verse. I find it very interesting that this is the case, right? And I think, actually it's four times in this scripture verse. My apologies. <clears throat> but I think that it is telling of uh, how justification takes place. So as we hear in the scriptures... If we read in verse 9, it says, Therefore, we are now justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Let's read that again. Since, therefore, we are now justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So, let's first talk about justification and what justification means inside of the English-speaking, English-speaking text, right? We use this term uh, justification, right? And we imply inside of it that there is like a, a courtroom type appeals process that took place, right? And Christ came in and he died for us, right? And he paid the price, and we get scot-free, we get to walk off. Off death row. Good job, guys. But that that is not the definition of justification and justice, right? That is the root of the word justification, right? Justice, to have justice. That is not the root understanding in the Greek understanding of justification the word that's used here is diakuthentes 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 okay is can mean justice it can mean righteousness it can mean to be given justice but it has a uh, correlation right with another greek word which kind of tells us where we're looking at in justification. This is the same word that's used, actually, um, in uh, the preceding, uh, uh, preceding portion of the uh, chapter 4. And the word that's used is diakosinin. And it means God putting himself in a right relationship with someone acceptable to himself. Okay, I want to repeat that. So, diakosenin means God putting himself in a right relationship with someone acceptable to himself. Okay, what does that mean, right? Because when we go down in the bottom portion of this scripture today, we hear from 6 following that while we were yet helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Why one will hardly die for a righteous man? Though perhaps for a good man, one will dare even to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So... How is it that justification takes place 
this diakosinin, uh, how does this take place, this diakosinin, how does it take place inside of the concepts in that we were sinners and Christ died for us, right? Let's talk about that. So, we must understand, we must understand that God's justice and his, the justification given to us requires an action on the part of ourselves, right? It is not just declaring with the mouth and professing that with the mouth that you are believe in Jesus Christ. Well, guess what? The devil believes in Jesus Christ too. This is a true statement that we have to understand. So, when we're understanding these things, we have to ask the question that if if this definition, true definition of justification within the mind of the Greek reading, the Greek writers, was God putting himself in right relationship with someone acceptable to himself, what does that response look like on the part of the individual? Well, it's very simple. God is asking us, not asking us, he is commanding us that if we desire this justification by faith, that we must first off believe in Jesus Christ because we must profess Jesus with our mouth. But if we profess Christ with our mouth, right, we also have to follow him with our hearts. We can go to Psalm 50 on this. When it says, a humble and contrite heart, O God, you will not spurn, right? Humble and contrite heart, O God, you will not spurn. God is also asking us to participate in his divine life. Jesus says this inside of the Gospel of John. He says, if you love me, you will follow my commandments, right? You will follow my commandments. He also states that if we are to follow him, right? If we follow him, then we will receive the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Blessed Trinity. The Trinity being the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, who we read in Matthew chapter 28, in which all persons are to be baptized in, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So, this right relationship requires a right action on our part. We cannot just say that we are in relationship with God without actually following the commandments that he gives us and that he has given to us. The acquisition of the Holy Spirit living inside of us is the most important thing. I would like to turn and, 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 and well, not turn, but I'd like to read from a St. John Chrysostom's uh, reflection, his homily on uh, 5 verse 1. It says, for if, the recons if he reconciled us when we were in open war with him, I'm going to follow that up here in a minute, it is reasonable that we should abide in a state of reconciliation and give it to him this reward for that he may not, he may not seem to have reconciliation untoward an unfilling creature of the Father. So, very important, right? I want to go back to this concept. When we were in open war with him, 
Okay, let's talk about that. What does that mean, right? So something that we have to understand is that when we sin, we basically have set ourselves to be enemies of God. We read this in verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So, when we sin against God, we are therefore making ourselves enemies of God, right? Enemies of God. Therefore, just as when someone does something wrong, we have got to apologize. We have to repent, right? This reason why Jesus says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. We must repent of our sins so that we can come back into right relationship and therefore have justification. This is the reason why once saved, always saved as a general teaching is wrong. Because uh, if we read the scriptures as, as we understand them and as they have been understood for 2,000 years, this idea of diakosanin uh, is so important because it means that God is putting himself in a right relationship with someone acceptable to himself. Well, when you sin, you are no longer acceptable to God. You have sinned against him. You have broken his commandments. You have become an enemy of God, right? Because his war is against sin. Christ came so that he could war against sin. He taught us to be like God because we need to regain what was lost at the fall. And so Christ, being the good son that he is, right, he came to teach us and to die for us that we might be justified in faith. But this faith requires right relationship, which requires following God's commandments. And this is the important portion. This is the important, important part. So when we become in that right relationship with God, what happens is, is God sends down his Holy Spirit through holy baptism. But it's not just the reception of baptism that gives us that fullness of the graces, and we're going to get to that term in a second, the fullness of the graces that God can give. Instead, it is required that we go through all three mysteries of illumination, right? Mysteries of illumination. So as we have accepted Jesus with our mouth, right, and then we are walking with our hearts to become like him, we are moving through, through this, this period of purification. This period of purification is when we are called to cleanse ourselves of the passions that are raging inside of us and that, that try to control us. These passions are causing sin. These passions are anger, lust. Gluttony. Uh, the, the list goes on. Uh, in the West, you call them the seven, seven deadly sins. Right in the East, we call them the Logos Moi, which is a Greek term for the evil thoughts, the evil actions, the evil, evil things, right? These things are important because in order to maintain the right relationship, to be acceptable to God, we have got to conform ourselves to becoming soldiers of Jesus Christ. I'm sure you've read that in the scriptures before. We must conform ourselves to be soldiers of Jesus Christ, 
Well, soldiers have rules and laws that they have to abide by. In the United States military, we have the UCMJ. Those are the rules and laws that as a military soldier, you are required to abide by. And if you break one of those laws, it's called a court-martial, right? Inside of our faith, and in what Jesus has shown us and what the scriptures have revealed to us, is that when we accept Jesus Christ with our mouth and believe with our hearts and follow him, we are therefore becoming soldiers of his. We are becoming soldiers of Jesus Christ. Therefore, there is a law, there, the law of Christ, that we must abide by. There are commandments that we must abide by. Love God and love your neighbor. But it's much more than that. We are called to a life of perfection. And we can kind of read that inside of verses 4 through 5. Let's read that now. It says, we'll start with, with verse 3, if you're following in your Bibles. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so John Chrysostom, inside of his commentary on the book of Romans, in this particular verse, he says, And so, if thou art not exceedingly worthy, despond not, since though thou hast that love of the judge as a mighty pleader for thee. So let's focus on that word. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Very important. Which is going to lead us to our first point here today, which is essence and energies. When we, re when we receive these sacraments of, of illumination, as, as some may call them, this, what in the West are called the sacraments of Christian initiation, right? Inside of the Eastern Church, we call them the mysteries of illumination because they illumine our hearts to the, to the fullness of the truth. We have something that is received in this action. In the East, we receive the baptism, chrismation, and first Eucharist all at the same time, even as babies, these our, our smallest children receive all three at the same time. Interesting here is that when it says God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, it is because with the reception of baptism and chrismation and first communion, right, the Holy Spirit descends upon us when we are baptized, just like the Holy Spirit descended upon Christ when he was baptized in the Jordan. That Holy Spirit lives within us. And now we no longer have an, it, an it, uh, external means of God's uh, Spirit working on us. But now, having accepted the mission of Christ and having accepted this activity of God's love, right? That Holy Spirit now is no longer an external factor moving us towards God, but rather is an internal factor bestowing us with all sorts of grace. And now let's move on to that. So what is essence and energies? And the essence and energies dogma of the church basically distinguishes God in three hypostases, the nature or essence, right? The usia in the Greek and the energies, the energio. It is important to make note here that we do not say that the essence and the energies are parts of God, but rather 
they maintain the teaching that God himself is simple, that he has no parts, that it is singular one, right? Therefore, we can say that the essence and the energies are uh, both both uh, uh, God. The Son and the Holy Spirit, therefore, are to say, are personal processions from the Father. And the energies are the natural processions from uh, from from God himself. The energies are therefore inseparable from the nature, and the nature is inseparable from the three persons. So you can't have that divine nature without the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it is natural that from that, uh, from that nature uh, comes the energies of God. I think it's best to use the concept of a light bulb here. When we look at a light bulb, it is a singular thing. And the, but the light that comes out of it, right, the light that comes out of it is still very much part of that light bulb. It's, we can't say that, oh, the light is separate from the light bulb. That, that would make no sense. That, that's illogical. Rather, God himself in his usia, in his essence, is the bulb itself. The energies are the natural radiations, the natural processions that come from God's divine essence, right? It is not a a part of God, but it is a part of God, if that makes sense. It is the natural procession from God that takes place, just like it's natural that light comes from a light bulb. The distinction between the essence and the energies, therefore, is it, it gives us uh, the means of preserving the words in uh, in 2 Peter 1.4, which says partakers of the divine nature. And if you listen to the podcast last week, we talked about that in depth, so I would urge you to go back and, and, and review that. I'm going to move d- deeper into this, though, this week. This union that takes place as partakers of the divine nature is not a, a participation, right, that is a uh, hypostatic union, nor is it in which case, the, the, uh, as in the case of the nature of Christ, right? We say that that, that was a hypostatic union. It was a, it was a union of the Christ our God, uh, God, and then Christ fully man in one divine person. That is not the case, nor is it substantial in that... Uh, and that of the three divine persons. That, that would be a, a substantial uh, union. Rather, it is a union with God and his energies. And this is the reason why uh, chapter, uh, excuse me, verse 5 is so important. Because when we're talking about the union of God and his energies, uh, the un- or union by grace, by making us participate in the divine nature, basically what we're saying here is that by grace, by his divine energies, we are able to become uh, uh, we may become like God. We may become like God. Maximus, Saint Maximus the Confessor talks about this and he teaches this, right? That all that God is by nature, save only identity of nature we may become. We, we remain creatures while becoming God, little g, by grace, as Christ remained God in becoming man by the incarnation. So what's important is this, is 
the divine energies themselves are not the relationship of God to created being, right? But they do enter into relationship with that which is not God, a.k.a. his creation, and draw the world into existence by the will of God, right? By the will of God. So this is important. This is important. Let me break that down a little bit, uh, just in case you might be getting confused, because I don't want to confuse you here. In short, and the easiest way to say it, is that the nature, nature of grace is the divine energies of God himself. So instead of saying that grace is the unmerited favor, right? What is an unmerited favor? It's God's divine life. You know, it's actually his life inside of us. It is not... Um, uh, this is this 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 grace is not something created. It's not that the Holy Spirit comes into us and then creates grace. Rather, it's that the Holy Spirit comes in us, and because the Holy Spirit lives within us, His natural procession, because He is God, is the divine energies, and that divine energy is grace. So as we participate with the Holy Spirit. And as we acquire the Holy Spirit and that Holy Spirit lives within us, we receive grace upon grace. And that is the reason why we read in the scriptures that wherever love is, grace abounds the more. So when we read in verse 5, when it says God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, we can say that God's grace... His divine energies abound the more through the Holy Spirit. And I hope that kind of gives you an understanding of where that teaching comes from. But this requires an action on our parts, right? This requires an action on our parts. We cannot just say that uh, that, that was that's enough, right? We can't just say, okay, well, that's great that we that we have the Holy Spirit within us, and now we can participate in this divine energies, there's something that we have to understand about this, right? So it's not that the Holy Spirit ever left us, right? And even, even whenever we sin against God and become enemies of God, He never leaves us. Saint Seraphim of Sarov, in his Acquisition of the Holy Spirit, says this. He says, it being... Uh, being grace, or the divine energies, right, uh, excuse me, the Spirit of God, was manifested only externally. Yet the signs of his presence in the world were known to mankind. The grace of the Holy Spirit acting externally was also reflected in all the Old Testament prophets and saints of Israel. Though the pagan philosophers also wandered in darkness of ignorance of God, Yet they sought the truth, which is beloved by God. And on account of this God-pleasing seeking, they could partake of the Spirit of God. For it is said that the nations who do not know God practice by nature the demands of the law and do what is pleasing to God. Romans 2.14 So, what we can say is, is that God, in the, in the Holy Spirit, right, acts externally for our salvation. He seeks to draw man unto himself through the external action of the Holy Spirit. We can kind of read this. Actually, we pray this inside of the Eastern churches all the time. 
when we pray the O Heavenly King. It goes, O Heavenly King, the comfort and spirit of truth, everywhere present and filling all things, the treasury of blessings and giver, giver of life, come and dwell within us, cleanse of all stain and save our souls, O Gracious One. Focusing on who are everywhere present and fillest all things. He fills all things with the energies of God in his role as the divine agent by whom, Colossians 1.17, all things consist. All things consist. Based on uh, St. John's uh, Gospel 1.9, it, uh, it is a good example of the understanding of the economy of God, the work of God towards his creation inside of uh, the prayer that concludes the first hour it says, O Christ, the true light, who enlighteneth and sanctifieth every man that cometh into the world, let the light of thy countenance be signed upon us, that in it we may see the unapproachable light. That we may see the unapproachable light. Very important. Very important. St. John Chrysostom comments on this. He says, if he lighteth every man that cometh into the world, how is it that so many continue unenlightened? For not all have been known, not all have known the majesty of Christ. He lighteth all as far as as him lies. But if some, willfully closing the eyes of their mind, would not receive the rays of that light, their darkness arises not from the nature of the light, but from their own wickedness who willfully deprive themselves of the gift, for the grace is shed forth upon all, turning itself back neither from Jew, nor Greek, nor barbarian, nor Scythian, nor free, nor bond, nor male, nor female, nor old, nor young, but admitting all alike and inviting with an equal regard in those who are not willing to enjoy this gift or injustice to impute their blindness to themselves. For when the gate is open to all and there's none to hinder, any being willfully evil will remain without, they perish through none other, but only through their own wickedness. Only through their own wickedness. This reminds me of what I was always learned. What I learned whenever I first became Catholic, right? There, we. I grew up Pentecostal holiness, right? So I was always told, you know, you do this, you do that, you do this, you're going to hell, okay? And the way it made it always sound was that God was going to send me to hell. God was going to send me to hell. God was going to send me to hell. But that is not the teaching since the early church. The teaching since the early church is that it's not God who sends you to hell. It's you yourself that sends you to hell. Because you have a free choice. When you know it's wrong and you continue to do it, the wages of sin is death, says the scriptures. So you get what you paid for. You get what you paid for. St. John Chrysostom makes note inside of this particular scripture verse today, in, in this commentary on St. John, right? He states that he lighteth all as far as in him lies. Therefore, you have to desire and will to be saved. If you don't desire and will to be saved, you won't be saved. It's as simple as that. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they will be satisfied. How are they going to be satisfied? They're going to see the kingdom of God. For theirs is the kingdom of God. 
They're going to see that, that kingdom. They're going to participate in that kingdom, and they're going to glorify God. And so, what we can hear in St. Seraphim's conversation continuing in his writing the acquisition of the Holy Spirit, he says, But when our Lord Jesus Christ condescended to accomplish the whole work of salvation after his resurrection, he breathed on the apostles, restored the breath of life lost by Adam, and gave them the same grace of the all-holy Spirit of God as Adam had enjoyed. But that was not all. He also told them that if it was expedient for them that he should go to the Father. For if he did not go, the Spirit of God would not come into the world. But if he, the Christ, went to the Father, he would send him into the world. And he, the Comforter, would guide them and who all who followed their teaching into all truth and remind them of all that he had said to them when he was still in the world. What was then promised was grace upon grace. John 1.16 He continues, And this same fire-infusing grace of the Holy Spirit, which is given to us all, the faithful of Christ, in the mystery of holy baptism, is sealed by the mystery of chrismation on the chief parts of our body, as appointed by Holy Church, the external keeper of this grace. Let's focus on that verbiage right there. So for many of you who are not Eastern Catholic, when we are baptized, right, we get, in the East, we get baptized, you get chrismated all over the place. You get chrismated on the head, you get chrismated on the chest, you get chrismated on the lips, the ears, the eyes, the hands, uh, you get chrismated on the feet, you get chrismated everywhere, okay? These things are important signs of our sealing into the mystery of God's kingdom. But I want to pay attention to what St. Seraphim talks about this. He mentions that the Holy Church is the eternal keeper of this grace. The eternal keeper of this grace. And this is true. Each and every single one of us is a temple of God. Each and every single one of us are um, participants inside of the one temple of Christ and the one kingdom of God. The church, big C, right? maintains therefore in that temple all the grace and therefore is the church truly the church who dispenses this grace right who dispenses this grace saint theophan the recluse in his the spiritual life and how to be attuned to it states such a disposition of our soul aka towards salvation towards wanting to be a part of that divine light of being illuminated, right, makes it ready for divine communion. We can receive Jesus inside of the Eucharist. And the grace, the divine energies of the Holy Spirit of God, which has acted there hitherto from the outside by arousing us, establishes itself within, not directly, but through the means of a mystery, right? The believer repents, is baptized, and receives the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2.38 Very important. Very important. I would like to finish up this concept of, 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 of synergy because that's really what we're talking about, right? Participation in the divine energies of God. 
by now actually defining synergy, right? I, I hope that, that, what I've, that what I've talked about here has given you an idea of what synergy is. But just so that we're clear on what it is, let me explain what synergy is. Synergy is the active and free participation of ourselves in God's divine life and in God's divine economy, right? It requires the, the participation of two individuals, two persons, right? Acting and moving. It requires that we ourselves conform ourselves to God and God, being God, opens himself up and freely gives us the, the gifts in which he promises all. One of those receptions of grace is therefore the reception of, uh, excuse me, I already I let the cat out of the bag. One of those receptions of the promises is grace, is the divine energies, the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We must understand that the baptismal grace, the baptismal energies, divine energies, the presence of the Holy Spirit within us is the foundation of all Christian life. And it is the highest promise that can be received. But we have to participate with God. We have to participate in the divine nature of God. We cannot just confess on Sunday and then Monday through Saturday do whatever we want to do. It doesn't work that way, brothers and sisters. We are called to prayer and to following Christ and His commandments every single day, every single moment, every single action that we do has got to be focused on these things. In fact... We read in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, right, that by this mystery, right, by this mystery, the incorporation into the Holy Church, which is his body, the church, that's from Ephesians 1, 22-23, that by this mystery, one is given the Holy Spirit and begins to participate as a new creation and, quote, 1 Corinthians 6, 19, the human temple and the divine energies or grace of God. We are called, therefore, to become temples of God, a human temple in which the Holy Spirit, our God himself, dwells within us. This is so important for us to understand in the concepts of synergy, because in order to fully participate in the full fullness of the graces that God desires for us, right, we must, in essence, participate with God in his economy, which means that we can't just do whatever we want to do, right? If you watched my short that I put out last week, I'll give you an example. It said, you know, I, I stated that if, if I want to do a homeless ministry, but God doesn't want me to do a homeless ministry, that's not what he has in store for me, but I want to do a homeless ministry, it'll come to no fruition. It'll be useless. It, it's, it's a salt that's lost its taste. It's good for nothing but to be trampled underground. Rather, we are called to do the divine will of God himself. We are called to do God's divine will, not our will. Many people want to go out there and, and, and do this ministry and that ministry and this ministry and this ministry. That is not what God desires of us. First off, we have to stop and have a relationship with God. We have to ask, how often are you praying? Are you praying your Jesus prayer daily? Are you seeking to have a, have a relationship with God? Are you reading the scriptures daily? How are you living this Christian life, right? When you pray, do you place the intellect of your mind into your noose, right? And do you lift that up unto God? 
and heartily pray and ask for repentance? Do you do these things? We have to participate in God's will, not our own. Jesus says this in the garden, let thy will be done, not my own. It's the same concept. We have to understand that we ourselves, as a human entity, have a desire to do things. We want to do things, and we want to please our Father. But just because we think it might please our Father doesn't mean that it's what God wants for us, right? We have to conversate. We have to talk. We have to have those, those big talks with Him and say, Father, what do you want? What do you want me to do? Like, what is it that you desire of me, right? And we have to have that relationship because at the end of the day, this is not a relationship that is one-sided, one or the other, but rather it's a synergetic relationship that takes place with two people. But the it, it, whenever we're looking at grace, right, and the reception of those of those divine energies and the participation in those divine energies, we have to unite our hearts and our souls into that. That's the reception of grace. The reception of grace comes from several places. It mostly comes from the participation in the holy mysteries of God. This would be the Holy Eucharist. The body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. Yes, that's right. Catholics and Orthodox both believe that the Eucharist is the body and blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. And so did all the Church Fathers. And that's the reason why it's so important for us to, uh, to have that. We must understand... We must understand that there are two ministerial aspects of the third person of the Trinity. The general, a.k.a. the external, that works on man to bring them to God. And then the special, that which takes place inside. The general ministry of the Holy Spirit applies to all of creation, right? It involves a variety of salvific activities that leads us to greater understanding so that we can convert our hearts to Him. Towards mankind... His redemptive ministry is an external nature. His special ministry involving the internal operation of ecclesial grace through initial imparted baptism is given to the organic members of his body and continues in the mystical life of the church, mainly communion. A.K.A. you have to receive communion. Why? Why? Because it is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. It is God Himself. His divine energies radiate from the blessed sacrament, His blessed mystery. Right? And so we participate, we partake of this bread, and we eat it with our with the front of our teeth, right? Because as St. John Chrysostom says, if like animals we chew our food with the back of our molars, then then we should not eat with Christ with the back of our molars, but with the front of our teeth, that he would always be in front, and that we would always be reminded as we, as we carry him of his truth and of his life. But we have to participate in these things, right? 
we have seven holy mysteries in the church. Baptism, chrismation, Eucharist, confession, anointing of the sick, marriage, and priesthood. And we'll talk about those a little bit more. The first three are sacraments or mysteries of initiation, right? They're mysteries that are uh, revealing to us a portion of God's life, right? Portion of God's life. We have to understand that in baptism, we are imbued with the divine energies of God, right? And we are continually fed by the Holy Eucharist in communion, the breaking of the bread, as it says in the scriptures. Yet also we have to understand that inside of the mysteries of healing, repentance, right, or confession, and anointing of the sick, these mysteries of healing are there to heal our broken souls, right? Having, having been able to control our passions to some degree through purification and having received illumination, now we have to continually go to our Father to receive medicine. The medicine is quite clearly confession and Eucharist, right? The Eucharist absolves us from those uh, iniquities, right? Those iniquities. And then, um, then we have uh, the confession, which is there to help us overcome those higher levels of sin or those continuing acts of sin, things that we might be struggling with. So we can break the strongholds of the devil in our lives and become more perfect in him, in Christ, and in the Father and the Holy Spirit. The last ones that we have are our mysteries of service. We serve, and this is the reason why in the Eastern Catholic churches our priests are married, right? Because as a married person, you serve your wife, you serve your kids. But as a priest, you serve your church. And you can do that. You can do both, right? And in that. You can, you can become a priest, and a married man can become a priest. Let me rephrase that. You can, a married man can become a priest, and he can serve his family and his church just as much as a married man can become a deacon, and he can serve both his family and his church. In this, and in these things, this is the way that we participate in the life of God. There are other ways, though, that the scriptures themselves actually talk about, and I'm going to mention this again because I mentioned it a, a couple weeks ago, but Acts 2.42, right? Acts 2.42, so very important. It says, And they held steadfastly to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, and to the prayers. Right? And you go down to 48, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they partook of food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people, the Lord added to their number day by day by those who were being saved, right? So they were doing the temple prayers. Well, we have the temple prayers still today. This is the temple prayers of the modern-day church, right? The divine office, which is done uh, by uh, clerics, monastics, and uh, some lay people, right? Those especially part of brotherhoods or uh, religious orders, you know, uh, this is the this here is the the, the Ukrainian version, right? Um, the Roman Catholic Church has the exact same thing. All twenty four churches in the Catholic Church actually have the Divine Office, and all of them pray it right regularly. 
So that's another way that we can we can enter into and um, and, and enter into that grace and 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 uh, what's the word I'm looking for here that we can we can kind of uh, access that grace, right? Another way that we can do this is through the Jesus prayer. The Jesus prayer, very easy, something that can be done all day long, actually. Um, and the monastics actually do do it all day long. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. When we pray, it's as if we attach an umbilical cord to God, right? And so it's important that if we don't if we don't pray, we can't know the will of God. We can't do God's will. Therefore, we can't have salvation. We have to do God's will. That's the most important thing. Our Father who art in heaven, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? So we have to do God's divine will. We have to do God's will. Well, we can't know that will unless we pray. The Jesus prayer, as an action of continual prayer, just as in 1 Thessalonians, right, um, 4, 6, says, pray without ceasing. It's important that we do this so that we know God's divine will at every moment throughout the day. Uh, I know many people would say repetitious prayer is sinful and blah, 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 blah. This is what I have to say to that. In the history of the church, repetitious prayer without the intellect being attached to the noose and lifted up to God, right? Which is true prayer. I would say it cannot be in any way, shape, sinful. How is it that me wanting to speak to my father all day long is sinful? And we read in the scriptures of the publican when he goes into the temple and he says over and over and over again, read the scripture, God have mercy on me, a sinner. The Jesus prayer is, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It comes from the publican's prayer. We say it over and over again because like the publican who is justified in the eyes of Christ, in the eyes of God, we too will find that same justification through Christ. And so, my brothers and sisters, I would pray that you, you do these things. Pray the Jesus Prayer. Uh, pick up the Divine Office. Um, it's a great, great devotion. It's a great, great prayer opportunity. I would suggest maybe the first hour, the third, sixth, and ninth hours, uh, just because uh, matins and vespers are, 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 are fairly long. Um, and maybe even night prayer. Uh, there's... Uh, I don't have it up here, but there's there's another one. Um, I've got a small prayer book, but you know there are typically, especially in the Eastern Catholic churches, there are prayers for morning and evening for when you're about to lay down to sleep and when you wake up from your bed uh, that you can do. Um, if anyone's interested in that, please leave a, a comment down in the quotes down below, and I can I can work on getting that for you and getting that getting something for that. So uh, with that. Uh, that is all I have for today, right? So just to just to just to end here, just to end here, um, what are we what are we what are we talking about, and what is, what is the end result of today's teaching, right? What is the end result of today's teaching? I would say that the end result of today's teaching is this. We have to make sure that the that our soul, right, is good 
and is clean and is just and is holy. In the gospel, we, we read the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is sound, your whole body will be full of light. Your eye can be equivalent to the mind, to the soul. It's actually what we call in the, in, in the East the noose, right? We have to work on purifying that noose of the passions. Those things which are going to lead us away from God, right? Um, and make us enemies of God. I pray that you, and a challenge for you this week, is that you would work on these things. Make a note. Make a notebook. Get a notebook, right? And, 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 and do a, a reflection, an examination of conscience each night. Ask yourself the sins that you may be struggling with. Look at the Ten Commandments, right? Look at the, the, uh, the, the seven Logos Moi, seven deadly sins, and ask yourself, which ones of these am I struggling with? Make an action of going to confession to the, the mystery of, of, of holy healing, right? The mystery of confession, of repentance. Once a month, right? So that you can get in a good state of life and of living. These things are the most important, right? Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and all righteousness. And all these things shall be yours as well, right? That was the ending of the gospel reading for today in 6.33. I'm urging you this week to do that. Seek first the kingdom of God, and, uh, and, and all things else will be well. Um, okay, so that's all I have for today. I hope that, I hope that, that, was, that you learned something and that this was informative. Um, I, I try to be as informative as possible um, just because I, I want you to be able to understand the true love of God, right? And in order to participate in that, that is energies more perfectly and more succinctly, you need to know how it works. So I, I hope that, that today's uh, lesson was good and that you learned something from it and that it wasn't too boring, you didn't fall asleep. If you fell asleep, uh, you know, you're waking up right here to the end, just just stop it, go get some coffee, okay? And then, you know, just, you know, just, just rewind, rewind. It was very important today. Today was justification, which is if you have any Protestant brothers and sisters um, that may be trying to understand justification, especially in a Catholic or Eastern Catholic Orthodox view, um, then send them this way. Um, pose your questions down at the bottom of the comment section and I'll try to answer them as the best I can uh, and other and other and otherwise. Um, thank you so much for joining me today. If you have not liked and subscribed, please do so. Um, if you're on the podcast on our podcast, go to YouTube Christ Our Hope and like and subscribe our channel. Um, I hope that this has been helpful. If you have anything, questions that you are interested in, right, and that you have about about uh, uh, this show or whatever, you can also go on Christ Our Hope um, and go to the video and to the comment section, write your comment, your question down there, and I'll be more than willing to answer those questions as I, uh, as I got them, as I get them. So uh, thank you so much. Glory to Jesus Christ. I hope you have a blessed week, having a good summer, right? And I look forward to seeing you again next week. God bless.